0: This is the first day of this June 2019 seven-day Sashin. And we'll go back to uh, one of my favorite uh, texts and Roshi Kaplows as well, uh, the, the teachings of uh, Japanese Zen master Basui. This is from a book called Mud and Water, a collection of talks by the Zen master Basui, translated by Arthur Braverman. And we'll start off. We we read from this uh, just on one one day of the uh, last session, the March-April session. Um, but now we'll start from the biographical outline of Basui, <clears throat> and uh, we won't be repeating what we read. Uh, in uh, that, la- that last session, So his dates are 1327 to 87. 1327 to 1387. Um, just for a little comparison, uh, the year he was born was when the Aztecs established Mexico City. And the uh, same year that Meister Eckhart a great christian mystic died during his lifetime during Basui's lifetime 75 million people in europe died of the black death just about incomprehensible that kind of number maybe there are other estimates though no but a lot According to his uh, biography, his mother, Basui's mother, um, had a dream that she would give birth to a demon child. Uh, She was unable to shake off the fear of this omen, so she abandoned uh, the newborn Basui in a nearby field. A family servant found the child there, took him in, and raised him. There's an important footnote here for those of you who already think his mother was a monster. Uh, it says he he may well have been, uh, she may well have left him there with the understanding that the servant would pick him up. In this case, he would have been abandoned only in a formal sense, in order to fend off the evil spirits. Uh, In Japan, and maybe this is to some extent true in China too, um, there is the formal and then there is the real. The formal and the, as Roshi Kaplow always used to say about the Japanese, there's the front and the back. The front would have been the the action of abandoning, of leaving the baby there, Uh, but the back, the... What's behind that is the understanding that the servant would scurry over there and rescue the baby. and It's just some kind of a formal idea they had about demons. Remember, this is the 14th century. When Basui was four years old, his father died. Three years later, <clears throat> there was a memorial service for him this is uh, pretty much the convention in in Japan, and still is, that there are these periodic uh, memorial services. It's not just the one, a funeral service, and then that's done, one and out. But uh, then certain, a certain uh, schedule of, of services that are followed. So this was uh, three years later when Basui was seven, and, uh, he saw the food offerings on the altar. Um, probably there was fruit, uh, just as we have fruit offerings, maybe uh, vegetables, maybe uh, flowers or, or cakes. And, uh, little seven-year-old Basui, uh, asked the attending priest how his father could eat the offerings placed on the altar. This is a a similar question. comes up sometimes in in workshops if someone is uh, courageous enough to ask during the question period, uh, why do you put fruit and flowers on the altar? And uh, they're told it's just a concrete uh, expression of respect and gratitude to uh, the Buddhas. Buddhas always means the uh, enlightened ones that preceded us and to really, to our own Buddha nature, that's really what it means so how how could his father eat the offerings placed on the altar and this uh, priest uh, told Vasui that his father's soul would eat the offerings. Uh, I wonder about that translation soul I didn't think they had that idea, but maybe. And so then Basui um, also then asked, what is this thing called a soul? It's a question that many of us in in the West and the Americas and Europe could ask. What is this thing called a soul? And that kicked off uh, a deepening inquiry that Basui would uh, pursue throughout most of his life. When he was nine, uh, he was horrified by references to the agonies of the three lowest realms of existence, uh, remember there's, there were, what, what in buddhism what they 're called the uh, six realms of unenlightened existence and the lowest three are the from from the bottom up are uh hell the realm a hellish realm the realm of uh hungry ghosts and thirsty spirits that is a realm of uh un, un insatiable uh, cravings and then the third one up is the realm of animals uh, simply as a, as a lower realm, simply because animals animals are so bound by their reactions to uh, threats and to uh, other things. So Basui heard about these. There's some descriptions that are, uh, in, in popular Buddhism, they... Done all kinds of things. The painters and sculptors have have uh, rendered these realms, these agonies, uh, especially the hell realms. That's what I saw most on my pilgrimages in in uh, China, Tibet. Uh, they really are meant to put the fear of the devil in uh, people who may not really be educated. But uh, this would be a a spur to practice the Dharma. And then he went on inquiring into the the meaning of soul. And then that led into another question. Who is the one who sees, hears, and understands? wonderful, natural question, natural koan. Who is it that sees? Who is it that hears the wind and the trees? Don't just use a word, I, or your name. Who really? says here that for he sat in Zazen for long periods of time forgetting his own body until one day he realized there was nothing one could grasp to call the soul. So this would have been a, a little peek into the uh, emptiness of phenomena, emptiness of the so-called self or soul. And it relieved his his questioning to some degree. It says he no longer felt the burden of body and mind, and his doubts about the Buddha Dharma, the teaching of the Buddha, were cleared up a bit for the time being. So things were, had settled down, his questioning. Uh, maybe you could have called that a, a first little... Glimpse into his true nature, in a glimpse into the formlessness of the world of form. Would have been very slight, which is how it is for most of us in our first experience of uh, our first uh, entry into the mind. Then one day he read in a popular book, that's important that it's a, a popular book, not a classic, uh, The Mind is Host, the Body is Guest. And again, the old doubts, the questioning, the perplexity arose in Basui. And he thought, if the mind is host, then everything can't be empty Void. This host must be the master who sees, hears, and understands that all things are empty. But who then is this master? He could not free himself of this new doubt. You know, some of this is just a matter of semantics. We can, we can. Oh, just need to look at the uh, the Hakuen chant that we just did. We recite it together. Um, this true self is no self. Our own self is no self. Okay, we use the word self. Okay, that sounds, that doesn't sound too empty, self. But it's just a matter of how it's understood. But that's that's it. That's the practice. Is seeing through words, seeing through forms. Words are forms. Worms are phenomena words are phenomena. But this Basui wasn't there yet. He just couldn't reconcile emptiness with host. How could the host be empty? When he reached the age of twenty, he went to train under the Zen master Oko in his home province. They didn't become a monk until he was twenty-nine. When he did at last officially become a monk, he had little taste for ritual and rejected the superstitions that clothed so many of the religious institutions of his time. He didn't want to wear robes. He didn't want to chant, do the chanting like other monks. He simply practiced zazen. rigorously outdoors oblivious to wind rain and cold and this was uh, to be his way throughout his life as a Zen practitioner he always favored being outdoors uh, regardless of the conditions and then uh, he met a monk from his hometown by the name of Tokuke who became quite a strong influence on him. Tokuke had cut himself off from the world, he had retired to the mountains, and had been practicing religious austerities for many years. And so when Basui heard about Tokuke, he decided to pay him a visit. When Tokuke saw him uh, with his head shaved, but wearing layman's clothes, he asked him suspiciously, why don't you wear monk's robes? And Basui said, according to the the record here, I became a monk to understand the great matter of life and death, not to wear Buddhist robes. As if you had to choose between the two. Tokuke said, I see. Then are you looking into the koans of the old masters? Basui, of course not. How can I appreciate the words of others when I don't even know my own mind. Tokuke, well then, how do you approach your, relig- your religious practice? What, what is your practice? And Basui said, having become a monk, I want to clarify the source of the great Dharma handed down by the Buddhas and the patriarchs. After attaining enlightenment, I want to s- liberate the bright and the dull teaching each one according to his capacity. My true desire is to relieve others of their pain even though I myself may fall into hell. This statement uh, tells us that this is an an uncommon uh, practitioner. For a lot of us, Maybe most of us, uh, our aspiration does not begin, our beginning aspiration is not to liberate others, to help others. It's to help ourselves. To relieve our own mental, emotional, physical pain. It's the most natural thing in the world. There's nothing to be ashamed of by just wanting to find some relief from one's own suffering. And uh who knows, maybe years earlier, Basui may have given the same answer. He just wanted relief from his own pain. But at this point, at least, if not earlier, that had refined itself to wanting to help others wanting to purify oneself in order to most effectively help others and when you get when you get that aspiration harnessed that's when practice can come alive in a new way and we no doubt the reason we follow the there the, no the reason there the must be that uh the the tradition of reciting the four vows which we have followed of course and do every day uh is in no small part it's to to nurture this um mind of compassion to elevate our aspiration out of just wanting uh, something for ourselves uh, to something that is far larger. And this, I, I think it's fair to say, is what makes Zen a religion. It's not just a, a meditation practice. if When it's when it's uh, yoked to the this aspiration to help others, then that makes it something else. And that's what I think distinguishes it from this uh, popular form of mindfulness that's making the rounds in, in uh, business and uh, sports and uh, other secular activities. I think uh, almost invariably... Uh, The motivation to practice that kind of mindfulness, a non-Buddhist mindfulness, is uh, out of self-interest to to work uh, more uh, effectively to increase one's earning power, to be promoted more quickly, to be more powerful. Already at this point, we can see that whatever that first little experience was of Basui's, where he saw things as empty, saw the soul as empty, uh, he himself didn't see it as much, much having much significance, because uh, he says, um, how can I appreciate the words of others when I don't even know my own mind? And then later says, after attaining enlightenment, I want to save, I want to liberate others, and so forth. And I think it's, a, it's an important distinction. Uh, that is the distinction between, let's say, passing your first koan, being given permission to work on subsequent koans, the distinction between that and what is, we could truly call enlightenment. After this exchange, Tokuke put his palms together and bowed. And then a a growing friendship uh, ensued from this first uh, meeting. This account continues. Basui vowed never to teach a word of the Dharma to others until he received certification of his own realization from a true teacher. Once he received such certification, he would devote his life to helping others. To fulfill this vow, he practiced harder than ever, telling himself, this doubting mind is, after all, empty, this questioning mind. He carried this investigation as far as he could without any real clarification. Then, one day after sitting in Zazen, through the night... Through the night, the sound of the mountain stream at dawn penetrated his whole body and Basui suddenly had a realization. This is a very important wording here, translation. The sound penetrated his body. True insight Awakening is not figuring something out in the mind, having a, a, a mental insight. It's being able to embody this Dharma. There was a saying in Japan that uh, after after enlightenment, One's body tingles for two weeks. So then Basui, having enough humility, wanted to find a teacher to verify his understanding. And he heard of a well-known Zen master, a kozan, and he went and found him And Kozan confirmed Basui's understanding. At this time, Basui was 31. And at this time, this is significant, isn't it? At this time, he started wearing the Buddhist robes and began making pilgrimages around the country, visiting Zen masters. He first went to see a master, Fukuan, who had uh, a noted Zen master who had studied and trained in China. Fukuan had a following that numbered about 2,000. But Basui was unimpressed with him. Now here, too, let's just interject that just because Basui was unimpressed with him didn't mean that he wasn't... Uh, a true master. Uh, it's never the the, the the this matter of teacher and student having the affinity to work together. It's never just a matter of the qualities of the teacher alone, nor of the of the student. It's that that particular student with that particular teacher at that time in their lives. This is the Buddhist doctrine of dependent co-arising. It's not this and it's not that. It's this and that emerging, co-emerging. There might have been someone else, uh, another uh, enlightened student like Basui, who would have had the rapport with Fukuan uh, that he stayed with him. But, Fuku- but uh, Basui went back to his hometown, visited his pal Tokuke. He told Tokuke that he had not got on well with Fukuan and was planning to practice by himself in some isolated mountain retreat. Now, remember, Tokuke had spent over 20 years practicing austerities and seclusion, but that had left him with some some great deal of pride in his practice. You know, pride pride can slip in uh, at any chance it gets. And, and apparently this was Tokuke's vulnerability, his proud at his isolation. I don't need a teacher. I can do this on my own. And it says here that this pride of Tokuke's caused him a lot of pain. So he warned Basui of the dangers of this kind of seclusion, uh, going into this kind of seclusion before fully understanding the great matter, or receiving the transmission from a true teacher. This is something uh, I want any of you listeners uh, to, to maybe file away, uh, not to make it a deal-breaker, but... From time to time, people ask about doing a a retreat. They just, to do their own secluded, solitary retreat. And, uh, well, this is one, one opinion about, uh, not doing it until one had, uh, really came to a real, come to a realization. But, but, uh, that's one person saying that. And uh, no doubt there are some unusual individuals who could still benefit from going into doing solitary retreats for for at least for a short period of time, not 20 years. 20 years, I think, would be a mistake also, because you'd have no reality check. That's why I think it's a mistake to miss too many doksans in a row during Sashin, is cuz you don't have a uh, teacher to check in with and uh, engage with cuz you can the the capacity of the mind to deceive itself uh, is such that uh never getting any kind of reality check uh can lead you astray so with he must have the the rapport he had he lacked with Fukuan, uh, but he had with uh, Tokuke, uh, must have helped him take his advice, and so he gave up the idea of secluding himself in the mountains, and instead spent that year in a summer and winter training ango with, well, it says seshin, with Tokuke, so just the two of them. And then Tokuke told Basui of another, yet another master by the name of Koho. And that's where Basui set off for. Uh, this Koho was a Dharma heir, or was the, was the Dharma grandson of Zen master Mumon, who uh, compiled the, the Khan collection of koans. Says here that Koho was a strict teacher who greatly valued the precepts. It's a one's one's ability to uphold the precepts is an excellent measure of one's depth of understanding. He did not confirm Basui's understanding right away, but asked him to stay stay on a while at his temple. Basui did this, but he declined to uh, stay on the temple grounds. He lived in a nearby hut and visited the master every day. One day during their doksan, Koho asked Basui why Joshu responded to the koan, does a dog have Buddha nature with the one word mu? So he's probing Basui's understanding of this koan, the mu koan. And Basui responded with a verse. He said, mountains, rivers, and the great earth, grasses, trees, and the forests, all are mu. Koho reprimanded him for responding with his rational mind. And at that moment, Basui felt as though the foundation of his body and mind fell off like the bottom falling off a barrel. So this was a deep experience. He, and he expressed his understanding in the following verse. Six windows naturally open a cold, lone flower Unju, that's the name of Koho's temple. Unju strikes the rubbish from my eyes, crushes the gem in my hand right before me. So be it. This gold has become hard iron. It's a marvelous, marvelous verse. Let's go through it. Six windows naturally open. These are the six senses. The five Ordinary, what we think of as the senses in the West, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, plus uh, the sense of, of thinking. It's in Buddhist psychology uh, that thinking is considered a sixth uh, one, like the other five. They're grouped together. So they, it says they naturally open. Unju... He uses the impersonal the temple rather than Koho himself. It, it crushes the gem in my hand right before me. Gem, what's the gem? Any uh any abiding notion of a thing that he has, that Basui has, any abiding notion of even Buddha nature as a thing. Crushed, free of it. Blue sky, everything open. And then, so be it, this gold has become hard iron. This precious, precious thing now is something that can be used employed, like a, like a sword, like a plowshare, something that can be harnessed, put to use for the sake of others. Here, the the translator, who's the one who wrote this introduction, uh, Arthur Braverman, he says that his Basui's profound awakening pointed out to him how narrow his previous view of emptiness was. So Koho verified his understanding now and gave him the name Basui, which meant far above average. And at this point Basui was thirty two years old. Yet even after this crowning experience, he wasn't completely satisfied. And after two months, two more months there at the temple, he once again hit the road and looking for Zen masters to engage in Dharma talk combat. At this point now, he asked to receive the bodhisattva precepts, that's Jukai. No, he was, at, he was asked to stay on to receive Jukai, but uh, Basui still had an aversion to ceremony connected with temples, so he decided to move on. He still had this desire to seclude himself in a mountain retreat in order to deepen his understanding. And it's around around this time that Basui built his first hermitage. Uh, He had a visitor, Tokuke, came to visit him. And this time he seemed pleased with Basui's decision to retire to a solitary hermitage. Then Basui had a dream that his, his old teacher, the one who, this last one who sanctioned him, Koho, was near death. So he went to visit him. Uh, says after paying his respects to Koho and seeing his poor condition, Basui wanted to stay with him. There it is again, this bodhisattva impulse to help. Even though he clearly is something of a solitary Basui, he felt he had to respond to the, the needs of his teacher, Koho. He wanted to stay on with him, it says, but for reasons uncertain, but perhaps related to strained relations with some long-standing disciples of the teacher, he left. And I think here, the translator may be onto something when he says the older disciples may have resented Basui's decision to live off the temple grounds when he first trained under Koho. Some were perhaps jealous that Basui had received the transmission from Koho after such a short stay with him. All this resentment may have been compounded by the fact that Basui did not mix with the other monks and refused to take part in the formal temple activities during his short stay at the temple. These are all very, I think, very plausible uh, explanations of why he may have been shunned or unpopular, at least, with the other monks. There's such enormous pressure to conform in Japan. That's not based on just my six months there, but everything I heard from Roshi Kapo and everything I've ever read, the strong, strong pressure to not separate yourself from others in any way, but to go along. So his teacher did die. Basui so moved to another hermitage and met another teacher Jakushitsu, Jakshitsu who had been to China. Basui found a, a rapport with him. Basui spoke to the monks at Jakushitsu's temple. He told them that the meaning of ordination was not to recite sutras, chanting, but rather to put their lives in order. put their lives in order. Let's just let that stand for its stand as it is. Basui always seemed to warn against the dangers of excessive formalization that was so prevalent in the great religious institutions of the time. And Still, uh, certainly in Japan at least, is also still a problem there. Um, I remember visiting uh, Eheiji when I was in Japan. Eheiji is considered one of the two revered mother temples of the Soto Zen in Japan. Eheiji was uh, Dogen's, the the temple that Dogen uh, built and founded. And I was so disappointed by by what it had become. Full of tourists. The lobby, the lobby of the, uh, the, where you check into the monastery, Uh, had a huge TV set there. Uh, Monks were smoking cigarettes and chattering Idly And it just the feeling, of course, not, not understanding Japanese, I can't be absolutely sure, but the whole vibe of it was just had become a shell, a shell of what it must have been in the time of Dogen. And yet, because it was uh it was held in the highest esteem, and any monk would have been glad to, or just about any monk, to be uh, placed there. And then he moved to another hermitage. It's, this biography is just going from one hermitage to another. Uh, the number of disciples who were drawn to him kept increasing. Um, 800 of them gathered there. But because of the steep mountain path and the strong winds, Basui was encouraged to move to the famous, another hermitage, a famous one, where he was to remain for the rest of his days. You know, this morning when I was rereading this, for the first time I felt that sentence because of the steep mountain path and the strong winds just uh imagining those conditions getting up every morning before dawn going through your day week after week year after year with strong winds and finally at this point Basui accepted the the role of a teacher of a large institution but he refused the abbotship of two large monasteries uh, nonetheless and he accepted all who came to train with him and the numbers grew to over a thousand not just monks but uh, lay people and then it was here that uh, shortly before he died that uh, this book that was translated. Was we were reading from the translation, the mud and water. This book was uh, published. Um, Basui did not request it, but he gave permission. So, uh, the disciples had collected his teachings. And then this is this is telling. In his final years, he developed great faith in the. Bodhisattva Kanon, Bodhisattva of Compassion. Basui said he was a person, that is, Kanon, was a person who, for every sound he heard, he or she, contemplated the mind of the hearer, realizing his own nature. He had a shrine to Kanon built on the temple grounds, and he asked to be buried there. Now, the finale here. In 1387, Basui sat erect in Zazen, turned to his disciples, and said, Look directly. What is this? Look in this manner, and you won't be fooled. And he repeated this in a loud voice and died, 61 years old. And he was buried under the shrine of the Bodhisattva Kanon. With that, our time is up. We'll stop and recite the four vows.
1: All beings without number I vow to liberate Endless blind passions I vow to brute Dharma gates beyond measure I vow to penetrate The great way of Buddha I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless fine missions. I vow to abrood to harm beyond measure. I vow to penetrate. The great way of Buddha, I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to find To Dharma gates me beyond measure. I bow to penetrate the driven way of Buddha, I bow to attain.